invite you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible, our ushers have plenty of extra Bibles and our guys and girls will be willing to pass you one. You're welcome to keep the Bible if you don't have one. For some of you, one of the most frequent things I hear people say is I learned more about the Bible in one day than in all of my church going. And I had the same experience because I didn't go to a church where they read the Bible. So if this is new for you, I hope that you'll take the Bible home and begin to read it and realize that it's relevant, it's true, it's God's Word, and it will completely change your life around. This morning we're in the middle of a study of what's called the Upper Room Discourse. This is the night before Jesus was betrayed, and I've said that Jesus is basically saying, things are going to change around here, guys. I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm going to die and rise again. And so... We revolved it around this phrase, because I'm going back to the Father. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said, because he knew he was going to the Father, to show them love and give them an example. Then he announced that he was going to the Father, he said, but don't be sorrowful, because I'm going to go prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come again to receive you. Last week, we saw that he described great things about to come. He said, listen, because I'm going back to the Father, greater works than I'm doing, you're going to do. And we, we noticed that there were five great things that he promised, and we want to see these happening in our church. Powerful works, which glorify God in answer to prayer. And then he said, you're going to have a permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He's with you, but now we've learned that the Holy Spirit's in us. He promised that he would personally disclose the Father and himself by the Spirit. He said, I will come to you. I will reveal myself to you. I will remain with you. I'll make my abode with you. You'll have a relationship with me. He promised that the Spirit of God would remind us and be our teacher. And then he promised us that he will give us peace to overcome our fears. Now at the end of chapter 15 or 14, he said, arise and let us go from here. So they're in the supper room. They finished the, the Passover meal. He has taught them this much. And now they're leaving and they're going out of the city, down the Kidron Valley, to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane where they spent the evening. Probably along the way, they were passing by some vineyards, and Jesus had planned to teach them the importance of being a fruitful Christian. Now this morning, that's what we're talking about today. Asking yourself, am I a Christian? And if I am a Christian, am I a fruitful Christian? And how can I become a more fruitful Christian? That's going to be the theme. Jesus is going to speak frequently about Christians bearing fruit and bearing more fruit so that God would be glorified. So it's very practical, very helpful. I love this passage, and I hope you'll be encouraged to become a more fruitful Christian. Let's pray. Lord, since you said in the last chapter that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher, this morning I pray that you will help us to understand what it means to be a fruitful Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. So picture them, the disciples are walking along behind Jesus, and suddenly he says, I am the true vine. Huh? So what are you saying, that vine over there is a false vine? In their mind, the whole idea of vine and vine dresser was something that Jewish people were very familiar with. Jesus told numerous parables about vineyards, and these vineyard parables were based on the Jews' understanding of the Old Testament. In every one of his parables about vineyards, 
the vineyard stood for God's people. And in each of these parables, the vineyard was not bringing forth good fruit like it was expected. And so therefore, something bad was going to happen in the vineyard. So Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And, and I want to point out two Old Testament passages. Now, I, want you to, I don't want you to turn there, but just for those of you that want to study in more detail, I learned something interesting this week, that one of the Messianic Psalms, Psalm 80, God actually predicted that Jesus the Messiah, the Son of Man, would come as a vine. Never heard that before. In Psalm 80, God said this. David said, you removed a vine from Egypt and you drove out the nations and planted it. And you're like, okay, that's Israel. But then later in this psalm, God said this. O God of hosts, look down from heaven and take care of this vine, even the shoot which your right hand has planted, and the son, S-O-N, whom you strengthened for yourself. And then he said this. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you've made strong for yourself. So the Old Testament predicted that Jesus would be a vine. So it wouldn't have been like totally bizarre for Jesus to say, I am the true vine. But secondly, there's a very familiar passage to Jews in the book of Isaiah, and I want you to write this down, Isaiah 5. I'll just read it to you, but most Jews understood this, that when God created the nation of Israel, it was his desire for them to be fruitful, but they weren't fruitful. So they all knew Isaiah 5, and I'll read it to you briefly. Isaiah 5 says this, My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around and removed its stones, and he planted in it the choicest vines. When he, when he went to the, to the garden store, he got the best grapevines. And then he hewed out a wine vat because he's like, man, when they grow, there's going to be rich, fat, great grapes. We're going to have wine. And then it says, and he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced worthless ones. And then God says, now here's my point. Inhabitants of Jerusalem, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I do for my vineyard that I have not done? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? Now think about that. They got this. God's like, I chose you. I forgave you. I made you a nation. I gave you my words. I dwell among you. And you people are just doing your thing. You're living ungodly lives. What more can I do, God says. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. I will break down its walls and it will become trampled down. I will lay it waste. Briars and thorns will come up and I'm not going to put any rain on it because the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, my people, are my delightful plant. He says, but I looked for justice. I looked for my people to do what's right. And he says, all I saw was bloodshed. I looked for them to be living righteous. And he says, but all I heard was cries of distress. So in, in the context of that background and Jesus telling the people, hey, you're not bringing forth much fruit, he takes the disciples aside and he says, now, you guys are going to bear fruit. So this morning, we're going to basically learn that there are four things that lead to becoming a fruitful Christian. And it's really important that we identify what we mean by fruit. 
Because Jesus says in verse 2, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so it may bear more fruit. So I want you to make sure you understand this. God's desire is for you personally, every Christian, to be a fruitful Christian. Jesus said you'll know men by their fruit. So three things I want you to remember. Christian fruit involves, first of all, character changes. In other words, if Christ plants the root of his life in your heart, it's going to change your character. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love. So if Christ lives in you, he wants to produce within you a more loving person. So if you're a selfish husband, a selfish wife, a selfish parent, a selfish co-worker, then God's desire is to change your character so that you become full of love, joy, peace. If you're always angry and fighting and fussing and divisive, God wants to bear the fruit of peace in your life where you learn to get along with people. Patience. Christian character. The fruit of the Spirit is patience where, where you're not flipping out at the kids, flipping out at your wife, flipping out at your coworkers, flipping out because Donald Trump's a crazy maniac. What's going on around here? You're like, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. God's teaching me through the Spirit to become more patient. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So many of you struggle here with addictions. We're all in sin recovery, but some of you are in substance recovery. The Spirit of God can give you the power to have self-control and to transform your heart so that you begin to experience changes in your character. Even little boys and girls, the Bible says a child is known by his actions, whether his conduct is good or right. Jesus is changing children to be obedient, submissive, serving their brothers and sisters instead of slapping their brothers and sisters. All of the church is called to grow into a fruitful Christian. And no matter how fruitful we are, God says, I want you to bear more fruit. So our character. Secondly, character and then conduct. Fruitful Christians are Christians who are helping other people. You're doing good deeds because you love the Lord and you want to bless other Christians. Titus Three, Paul says this, remind the Christians to be actively engaged in helping each other and doing good and meeting pressing needs among their church so that they don't become unfruitful. Now ask yourself, when was the last time I engaged myself to help other Christians? Did I, did I find out that somebody was moving and I offered to help them? Did I find out that someone was sick and I brought them a meal? Did I see that somebody's car wasn't working? I loaned them my car. Did I, did I see somebody was short on money? I gave them some money. These are very practical and tangible things. And as a pastor, it brings me such joy. I mean, this morning, someone was telling me about a surgery that they had and how Christians that she doesn't even know have been coming to her house, bringing them food. She says, they even bring dessert. We never have dessert. I'm like, then you should milk that thing. Oh, it's probably going to be four or five years before those things better. But when Christians are engaged in, and listen, this does not happen automatically. The Bible says, exhort Christians to be actively engaged in doing good work. So if you're like, gee, I can't even remember the last time. I don't have time to be helping anybody else. I can hardly get my own stuff done. Wait a minute. That's not what a fruitful Christian is. Paul says, I pray that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness through Jesus Christ and that you would bear fruit in good works. That's Colossians 1, verse 10. So pray that, Lord, show me opportunities where I can help other people, just doing good, cutting their grass or whatever, you know, just helping people. 
And then the third place where fruit is born is when God uses us to help bring about a convert. Okay, look at, well, I'll just read it to you because we won't have it up on the screen yet. But in verse 16, Jesus says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. In other words, that our lives will have an impact on someone else's life and it will be part of what influences them to become a Christian. Now, the starting point, obviously, is if you're a parent, the greatest place where you want to bear fruit is to have an influence in the life of your children, teaching them carefully the scriptures, praying for them, bringing them to church. Please, parents, don't give them that option. Don't say to your children, do you guys want to come to Sunday school or do you want to stay in your pajamas and have Cocoa Krispies? Hands down, they're going to pick that, but, but teach them, show them by love, by example. As we just read, diligently talk about the Lord. Be honest with them. Don't act like you're some perfect person. Share your struggles with them, but pray that, that you can influence your kids to come to Christ, even if you're not the one that leads them to the Lord. If they say, hey, I got saved in Sunday school, you don't go, dang, I didn't have any fruit because I didn't lead them to Christ. That doesn't matter. Fruit is any impact we have towards bringing someone to Christ. And God wants to use you to be a fruitful Christian. You're like, oh, pastor, you don't understand. I'm not a preacher. You don't need to be a preacher. 80% of people who become Christians become Christians through friends and family members. So as you develop redemptive relationships with unbelievers and you're praying, God, you chose me to bear fruit. I pray that I could influence someone to come to Christ. Imagine if this year, every person over the course of this year prayed to bear fruit in the life of someone else, that inviting them to a Bible study or a woman's breakfast or, or an outreach or just bringing them to church or having a Bible study in your home, and, and, and every one of us was used of God to bring someone else to the Lord. This church would double and triple, and the power of the Spirit of God would continue to pour out. So pray these things. Pray that we will have the fruit of character. I know a lot of Christians that know their Bible well, but they're jerks. They're not sweet. They're self-righteous. They're judgmental. That's not what God's looking for. Jesus says, I want you to be fruitful. So what we're going to look at this morning is Jesus frames this idea of, hey, guys, I'm leaving, but I want you to be fruitful. So there's four things we're going to learn about how to bear fruit as a Christian. The first one, if you want to write this down, is found in verses 1 through 3. And that is this, that fruitful Christians constantly remember that they are forgiven and being transformed. Fruitful Christians constantly remember, hey, I'm completely forgiven, but I'm also being transformed. Now let's look at verses 1 through 3. Jesus says, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, that, that's the word for farmer, the guy who, who cares for it. And back then, a, far, a, a vine dresser would walk among the, 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 the vineyards, and he would break off the dead wood. He would prop up. He would cleanse and, and shake off and make sure that the branches are, are, are fruitful, right? So Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, I think when it says in me, this is people who profess to be Christian. They might not be saved, but they're connected with Christianity. But then he says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Verse 3, you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. 
Now, here's an interesting observation. The word prunes it, right, in verse 2 is a form of the same word clean in verse 3. So it could be translated, every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it so it may be, bear more fruit. And then he says, you're already clean. So the first thing I want to remind you of is when Jesus says, you're already clean, that, that Christians need to constantly remind themselves, I'm fully forgiven. Completely, not just for my past. God just not going, I did my part, now you do yours. We are completely forgiven of all of our sin. Once and for all, there's no condemnation. God does not look at you and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of having second thoughts about you. I thought you were a Christian. I am fully forgiven. I have to rehearse that regularly. The devil's an accuser. My conscience condemns me. And I go, wait a minute. Jesus said you were already clean. So my relationship with God, if you're a born-again believer and people are like, what, do you think you can just be once saved, always saved? I go, no, I don't think so. God thinks so. The Bible says if he begins a good work in you, he will. So remind yourself, this is not an issue of performance. You're fully forgiven. Okay? But that's the first point. I know I'm fully forgiven. It's God's desire that I become a fruitful Christian. But secondly, I have to remember that God is transforming me to bear more fruit. He's working in my life to make me more like Jesus. That's why it says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. Now, pruning, if I was a branch, would not feel comfortable because he would come along and he would snip off things in my life that are distracting me from being fruitful. And you can just mark this down, that this is an ongoing journey. God's greatest desire for you and me is not what we do, it's who we are. And he's continually working to conform us to the image of Jesus. And so, frankly, a lot of that involves difficulties. It involves the Holy Spirit giving us trials and tests. And so sometimes these things were like, God, why are these things, why do I have to be like this? Why do I have to struggle with this? Why do I have to have a husband like this? Why do I have to have kids like this? Why do I have to have a boss like this? Why do I have to have health like this? And God's going, but wait. Do you not understand that my goal here is to prune you, to shape you, to help you to become more like Jesus so that you might bear more fruit? In Hebrews 12, the author uses a similar, similar analogy, and that is discipline. He says, like a father, God disciplines his children because he wants us to become holy. And all of us, he disciplines us and when he does, it doesn't feel fun, it's sorrowful, but as, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So I want you to think about this. As, as we bring people to Christ, we say, God loves you just as you are. Come as a sinner, come with your baggage, and he will forgive you. But then we have to tell them, God loves you too much to leave you that way. Now he's pruning and shaping you and changing you, and the Holy Spirit's using the word and others to challenge you to become like Jesus. So maybe some of those things in your life, you're like, why is he doing this? Maybe this morning God's saying, because my goal here is because you're going to become more like Jesus. And as you become more like Jesus, you're going to bear more fruit because people are going to see you're changing. So when people come to me and say, Pastor, I'm not happy in my marriage. I want out. God doesn't want me to be unhappy. I go, wait, remind me which verse that says the number one goal of your marriage is your happiness. And if you're not happy, hit the... Hit the Hit the back, Jack. Where's that? 
God's desire is not necessarily my happiness, it's my holiness, which will then lead to joy. Jesus is going to tell me this. So it's really just helpful to remember God uses resources and people and habits of grace and churches to help transform me. So Jesus goes, listen, the first way to bear fruit is to remember, you're completely forgiven, but we're in a process of being actively changed. Now, the second thing that we're going to learn in verses 4 through 6 is that fruitful Christians depend completely on their vital connection with Jesus. Many times Christianity is taught like the little train who thought he could, right? All right, people, you're not being very nice to your wife. Stop it. Okay, you lusters, stop looking at porn. You addicts, quit using your drugs. You angry people, be nice. And we all put our hand and we go, I think I can. Let's do this, right? That's not Christianity. We'll never bear fruit in and of ourselves. The only way we're going to bear fruit is to stay connected to the root, which is Jesus. And so look at verses 4 through 6. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears. Now look at this. He bears much fruit. Character, conduct, converse. He bears much fruit. Well, how? For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them and cast them into the fire. They're burned. So, so the point that Jesus is making here is that it's our vital connection with him that's going to bear fruit. It takes the stress off, right? I, I can't make fruit. I just have to stay connected with Jesus. I can't conjure up fruit. Jesus says, stay connected with me, abide in me. And through me and you, if I'm living in you, fruit will be born in your life. It's kind of like when Jesus said, take my yoke and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the Christian life is about learning to depend on the living Jesus inside of us. It's not just like, you could do this, but you could do this through Christ who strengthens me. It's very practical. It's where I'm reminding myself as I'm challenged, Lord, I want to stop this. Lord, you have to help me. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Paul described it in Romans 6 in the following way. He said, we've been buried with him and raised so that we can bear fruit and walk in newness of life. So to have this vital connection in Jesus is to trust him, to believe his promises, to depend on him. It's not a list of rules where he's going, stop it, do this, do that, you can do it. It's a relationship. Lord Jesus, I want to stay connected with you. But the phrase that he used to describe this connection is abide in me. So, so the third point we're going to make here is, yeah, fruitful Christians depend on their vital connection with Jesus. But the third point in verses 7 through 11 is this, is that fruitful Christians, we stay vitally connected to Jesus through habits of grace, the word, prayer, and authentic relationships with other Christians. That's what it means to abide in Christ, to trust him, but then to actively be in the word and prayer and be in relationships with other Christians. So let's look at verses 7 through 11, and then we'll talk about it. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and he already said that, but now he adds something, and my words abide in you. 
Okay, so my relationship with Christ has to be an intake of God's word. And he says, ask whatever you wish. Now there's prayer. And it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. You prove to be my disciple. See, when I'm not bearing fruit, I'm, I'm missing out, and I'm robbing God of his glory. So he says, if you're in my word and in prayer, you have this enormous potential to bear much fruit. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And then verse 10, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And you're like, well, Jesus, why should I abide in you? I'm not very happy. He goes, keep listening. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be made full. So as a Christian, a vital connection with Christ in the word and prayer and relationships is going to glorify God and it's going to bring me joy. So let's talk about this. First of all, when Jesus says, my words abide in you, then somehow as a Christian, I need to be learning, believing, and obeying God's word. Does that make sense? In other words, Jesus is saying, look, it's not just that my words abide in you, but, but that, that you're not just going, oh, I read the daily bread, but that somehow I have this relationship with my Bible where I'm learning God's word and I'm believing what he says and I'm, and I'm obeying him. Not perfectly, but I, but, I, but I have a heart that's saying, Lord, if this is what you want me to do and you're changing me, help me to do that. So think about some of the implications of this. Colossians 3.16 says this, let the words of Jesus dwell in you richly and then teach and admonish one another. So this is why I add, not only is the word in us, but we have fellowship. Because as I'm learning God's word in the context of relationships, then I'm speaking gospel truths into one another's life. So when someone says to me, I'm really struggling because I asked God to forgive me and I feel guilty, then I can speak the word of Christ into their life and say, you don't need to feel guilty. There's no condemnation. Or I can say, hey, the way that I see you interacting with so-and-so, I'm not sure that that's reflecting what Christ had in mind when he said, be kind and gracious and forgiving. If, if a young person's like, I don't like to listen to my parents, they're a bunch of fools. You're going, hey, listen, Colossians says, children, obey your parents. This pleases the Lord. We're learning to speak the word of God into one another's lives. We're, we're listening to the Bible. We're believing the Bible. We're reading the Bible. We're in fellowship. Talk. Hey, what's God teaching you? Imagine if right now the person next to you said, what's God teaching you from the Bible? And how is that influencing you? And how can I pray for you to begin to, to incorporate that promise? So we're very big encouraging people to be in the word. But secondly, we want to encourage you to be in private and, and corporate prayer. Jesus said, if my words abide in you, you'll ask. So I want to talk about prayer. Two things. I want to talk about your corporate prayer first. If you're a Christian, you need to be praying with someone else. So I want to start with our married families. If you're both believers, listen, it may not be easy, but begin to pray together. 
And husbands, I'm going to put that on you to take the leadership. Your wife should not have to come to you and say, hey, Pastor Tom said we're supposed to pray together. If you're a Christian man, you take the leadership. You don't say, sit down, woman, we're going to pray. You say, honey, listen, I really believe that we can learn how to pray together. Okay? If you're too embarrassed to pray with your wife or, or you don't know how to pray together, you, God will help you. I promise you, he wants you to pray with your wife. Okay? He wants you to pray with your children. And then he wants you to pray with other Christians. There's power. Jesus said where two or three agree on anything, it will be done for them. There's a church that has an has a after-the-service People come up and it's called agree with me and they just ask for prayer and people pray with them. What a great ministry. So find people that you can pray with. This is why we're begging you, prodding you, poking you, pleading with you. Get connected. If you are not in any Bible study here, a men's group, a women's group, a growth group, if you are not getting together with other Christians, you are not yet in that place where you're going to become a fruitful Christian. It's impossible to do this alone. We need other Christians. I'm not asking to be in 50 studies, but you need to be in relationships with other Christians where you can speak the word of God into one of those lives. If you are in a small group, I really want to encourage you, if your small group has not done this, there's a book that we're really, really encouraging. It's called The Purpose of Small Groups. We're doing it in our small group right now. It's fantastic because it's, it's getting below the surface of saying small groups are not just to have cookies and say, hey, we're going to have fellowship. We're going to the Sixers game. But where we're sharing our Christian lives. What are you struggling with? What can we pray for? What's God doing in your life? How can we help one another? How can we evaluate it and say, hey, um, so, so our homework for, for our next small group is we're all going to show up and say, what's one thing you're struggling with that you want prayer for? Does that make sense? So Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to be in prayer. Now, what kind of prayer? Believing prayer, persistent prayer, scripture-driven prayer. I can promise you, if you pray to bear more fruit, God's going to answer that because that's what the Bible says. Paul prayed. He said, I pray that you will bear fruit. I pray that you will bear the fruit of righteousness through Christ. So ask God, Lord, bear fruit in my life, bear fruit in my children, bear fruit through me, pray for our church. Dear God, pour out the power of Christ upon us that we bear much God-honoring fruit. People are getting saved. Difficult marriages are being saved. Difficult children are being healed in their relationship with their parents. Difficult parents are learning how to be humble and, and, and learn how to raise children. Addicts are being freed, not just bounced around from one rehab to the next but that they're, they're actually experiencing victory. I'm not making light of bouncing around from rehabs. I get it. It's a powerful, and we need to be praying that God's power will help those in substance addictions to become free. This is an enormous blight in our churches, but the gospel is powerful. Pray for, for fruit-desiring prayer, God-glorifying motives. Lord, we're not praying this for our glory, but because this is how you said you're glorified. And Jesus tells us in 9 through 11 that when you connect with me in the word and prayer, when you abide in me, my joy will be in you. So lastly, Jesus has taught us that, hey, 
you're, if you're going to be a fruitful Christian, you're a disciple. You're a forgiven follower. You're clean. But you're becoming like me, so I'm going to prune you. And, and this morning, some people came, oh, man, God was really showing me this or showing me Of course he is. That's what he does. He, he beats me up first. I don't go, yeah, God, they need to hear this, and they need to hear that. So he's like, yeah, Tom, you need to hear this. And this is why I'm pruning you in this area, pruning you in that area. We all need to hear this. So I'm forgiven, and I'm being transformed. But secondly, I got to keep going. This is not just me. It's Jesus. I'm resting in you. I'm trusting in you. Lord, I believe that you live in me. And even with all my goofiness, that you could bear fruit through me. You know, I want you to believe that. Some of you are so beaten down. Oh, I can't do anything for Jesus. You're right. Apart from him, but connected with him, you can do great things for Jesus. You have enormous potential. This church is exploding and growing because God's bearing fruit through you. We don't have a big sign that says, come to Bible Fellowship. We have 500 signs that go home and go to work. And some of you, we might want to change what your sign is, is imaging, but for most of you, we're like, good sign. Keep bearing fruit. But the last thing Jesus is teaching us here is that fruitful Christians are compelled by God's love. Fear doesn't get us very far. It can, as somebody said, you can get holy water if you boil the hell out of it. And you can, you can get... Christians to do what's right if you scare them, you know, stop it, God's going to get you. But what really changes people is to be compelled by God's love. Oh, Lord, I only want to do this, I only want to love you because you first loved me. You first forgave me. Somebody asked to meet with me this week, he said, Pastor, he said, I want to become a Christian, but what do I have to give up? I mean, let, let's, just, let's just cut to the chase here. What do I have to give up? And I said, well, you know, Jesus doesn't work that way. He doesn't say, let's divide our assets. You can keep this. You can't keep that. It's a heartfelt surrender that says, Lord, because you loved me, you died on the cross for me, I'll come out of darkness, and I'll just come and believe in you. And whatever you want me to do, I trust that you will change my heart. And if you're not sure, if you're still going, I don't know if I want to become a Christian. You do. Trust me, you do. You will eternally regret it if you don't. But don't let anything hinder you from saying, I want to flee to Christ. But let it be because he loves you. So notice in this last section how much Jesus talks about love. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves for the slave doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. Let's keep reading. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. So a slave, a slave, the master would come out and he'd say, you go do this, you go do this, you go do this. And, and all the slaves, none of the slaves are going, well, why? What's the long-term plan here? Can you, you know, I don't know why you're doing this. But with friends, imagine the master saying, come on in here, you're not my slaves. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make my mind known to you. I'll share I'll tell you more about what I'm thinking, why I love you, why I'm asking you to do these things, what my greater purpose is. That's cool. I, 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 we all respond to a boss like that, right? A boss who says, because I said so. And if that's how you parent, because I'm big and you're little, that's a bad way to parent. 
But if you speak into the lives and you reveal your mind and what you're thinking, that's a display of love. And so Jesus says, for all things that I heard from my Father, I made known to you. That's what I do with friends. And then he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Now look, and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. This is my command that you love one another. So I want to just close by talking briefly about God's love and how, how God's love compels us to be a fruitful Christian. First of all, notice here that God's love is displayed in the sacrifice of Jesus. If you have not been won over by the love of Jesus, you're missing the point. Jesus is not saying, come to me or I'll kill you. He's going, come to me because I was killed for you, so you don't have to go to hell. Greater love. What more could I do for you? God says, if I didn't spare my own son, how will I not freely give you all things? Jesus loves you. He gave himself. That's why I love him. That's why I cry when I, when I sometimes think about the cross because I think, why? Nobody ever loved me like that. I'm a jerk. Why would you love me, Jesus? But that's his point, and that compels us. Christians understand that God loves us through the sacrifice of his son. But another way that he displays his love in this passage is that he gives us special revelation of his mind. He goes, I call you friends because I, I make known to you my father's mind. I love that. When I read the Bible, I get to be in God's office and talk to him like, so what are you thinking, God? Why are you doing that? And he's going, well, this is for my glory, and this is what I'm going to do in the future, and this is where you fit in. I mean, it's cool to be able to talk to the boss and have him share his thoughts with you, to share his mind, and that's what scripture does. Jesus says, okay, so I love you. I, you're not my slaves. You're my friends. I'm, I'm revealing my thoughts to you because I love you, and then thirdly, and I like how Carson points this out. He goes, lest we have a tendency to think, yeah, well, you know what? Of course Jesus chose me. To prevent our pride, he says, let me, remember, let me remind you that my love involved a sacrifice, special revelation, but also a sovereign choice. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, a lot of Christians stumble with that because they're like, I remember when I chose Jesus. My friend invited me to church. They told me I need to be saved, and I came walking forward. And yes, you did choose to become a Christian. But what you need to understand is that's because God had already chosen you. That's because he set his love on you and he decided to draw you to himself, to, to make you interested in the Savior, to give you a desire to read the Bible, and that when you did come to Jesus of your own will, it's because he had already selected you but he selected you not because of some, he was not like, well, Tom, he's funny. I'm going to pick him. No, he goes, he's a loser, but I love him. He's dead in his sins, but I love him. And I chose him that he would go and bear fruit. Isn't that exciting? God sovereignly selected you to go and bear fruit. So as we close, I want to share just three, three ways that we can put this into practice. Number one, I want to I challenge some of you. It's possible but dangerous to be an unfruitful Christian, right? So if you're showing no evidence of Christian character, right, and you don't even care, no desire to see converts, no conduct of goodness, just you're into yourself. The Bible warns Christians. Peter says in 2 Peter 1, if you don't have any of these 
godly virtues like love and perseverance. He goes, you've become unfruitful and forgotten that you were cleansed from your sins, so you better make your election sure. So if you are a completely unfruitful Christian, you're like, I don't care about anybody but me, then either you're not a Christian or you're in a dangerous place where God's saying, come to me, surrender to me. I've got, I didn't save you so you could just run wild. I saved you to become fruitful. Secondly, if we are known by our fruits and the Lord wants us to bear more fruit, all of us can come away from this sermon going, where might God be cultivating more fruit in me? Maybe I need to change in, in my character in certain places. Be a, be a nicer husband. Maybe I need to be more patient. Maybe, maybe I need to get more involved in serving others to, 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 to do something for Christ. Maybe I need to be more active in praying for lost people, giving to the church, witnessing to people, building relationships with unbelievers. God wants to bear more fruit. He could do this through you. Jesus is speaking to you. He's, he's not just talking to them. He says, you, I love you. I chose you. You're going to bear fruit. And then third, probably all of us could say, so that's why God's doing this. He's pruning me. I thought he hated me. I thought he just wanted to make me unhappy. I thought he was just up in heaven saying, go and try to have some fun so I can smack you. No, he's pruning me, plucking off stuff in my life. He goes, because if I can cleanse that out of your life, you're going to bear more fruit. And so I, I get in the word. I say, Lord, let me be in a small group. Let me depend on your power. Let me, get, let, me, let me get serious about changing from my addictions, my lusts, my selfishness, my idleness, my pride, my laziness. Oh, I don't have time to read the Bible. Lord, I see what you're doing. You're making me miserable because you want me to surrender to you so I can have joy. And so let's make it our prayer that we will experience his joy and that we will see God continue to bear much fruit in this church. And perhaps even this morning, the Lord's going to display his sovereign power to bring fruit because I'm going to close with prayer and I'm going to give an invitation right now. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, is there anyone here who in your heart you're going, you know what? I'm not a fruitful Christian. I don't even know if I'm a Christian, but I want to be. Keep your head bowed and just, if you realize that you're a sinner and you believe that Christ died for all of your sins and he loves you and wants to forgive you, then right now, just say to him, Lord Jesus, please forgive my sins. Thank you for dying and rising again. Please come into my heart. Change me. Forgive me. Transform me. Help me to bear fruit in the days to come because I am a forgiven follower. I'm willing to follow you, Lord Jesus, wherever you lead me because you love me and you forgave me. If that's your prayer this morning, I want to just ask you, if you would, to raise your hand and look up at me so I can pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward because we're out of time, but is there anyone here this morning that says, God has spoken to me, and I truly want to be a forgiven person. I believe that Jesus died, and I want to become his follower and be a fruitful Christian. Anyone at all? Just raise your hand. Yes, praise the Lord. Anyone else? Hey, just pray for me, Pastor. Amen. Anyone else? Yes. Father God, for those who are struggling with their assurance or not sure that they're a Christian, I pray that you will affirm them, Lord, that all who come to you, you will not cast them out. May they have joy knowing, Lord, that the gospel is free, that grace is free, 
And for all of us, Lord, may we just delightfully enjoy our relationship with you this week, praising you even for our trials. And Lord, we pray in the days to come, we will see much fruit in our children, our marriages, helping addictions, helping struggling Christians who are, who, are, who are addicted to sin. Lord, may the power of the Spirit make this church strong and may Riverstone Church have a great impact. And we ultimately know, Lord, that this is for your glory. So send us forth, determined by your grace, to be more fruitful than we ever imagined. And we ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Please do me a favor. Go directly to get your children. Do not pass go, the children's workers. Bring your children back and then have fellowship because they, they want to come over and fellowship too. Thank you.